0: The hour to which the podcast adjourned having arrived, the podcast is now in order.
1: Let's gather in for this week's State House Takeout with the reporters on top of Beacon Hill at the State House News Service.
0: Here's Sam Doran. Moments to remember. This Friday, we've been looking ahead to next week and looking back on everything that happened one year ago. March 9th, Mayor Walsh cancels the South Boston parade. March 10th, the governor declares a state of emergency, followed later in the week by the P word, the pronouncement that we're in the midst of a pandemic. For the last week or so, of course, we've been seeing all the tweets asking, what were you doing a year ago in the last normal days? of the old normal now we'll be seeing the tweets what were you doing when everything turned upside down a year ago so to take stock of where we are now round up some of the news of this past week the instant week behind us we're joined by a round table of Statehouse news service scribes who have faithfully documented every twist and turn of the last year we've got colin young katie lannan chris Lesinski, and matt murphy of the Statehouse News Service. Hi, folks.
2: Howdy. Friday, Sam.
0: Hmm, same to you. Folks, when you think back to last winter, February, heading into early March and that state of emergency declaration, what's, what's an impressionable memory that sticks out, small or large, that might remind you of just how unique the situation was or how strange it was as it was, as it was then unfolding? And I've got a small one I can start out myself. I I just keep thinking back to, it's a a small one, Secretary Mary Lou Sutter's hand-washing lessons at the press conference room podium, back when all of us were still crammed together, before the six-foot distancing became a practice in that room, before we moved to the much larger Gardner Auditorium briefing space and really spread out, such a small thing, washing your hands, People needed lessons from our, our top healthcare official in the state on how to properly do it. Such a simple preventative measure being taught to us to ward off this invisible enemy at a time when none of us knew just how devastating the whole thing could become. It was it was really a, a strange thing to see in the moment and and strange to look back on. Um, uh, what, what what else do you guys have?
2: Yeah, on that theme, Sam, I, I just, I remember, I think it was around this time uh, last year, actually, probably, it might have even been March 5th, uh, I was I uh, left the Statehouse, I'd gone out uh, to grab lunch, I believe, and was outside of the convenience store, uh, right on the corner of uh, Bowdoin and Uh, Beacon Street and uh, ran into uh, Josh Miller of the Boston Globe, uh, Scott Zoback, who at the time was uh, working for uh, the Senate president. And we stopped to talk and the news had just been breaking that uh, a Biogen employee uh, who was in Tennessee, but had been linked to the conference in Boston, had tested positive for the coronavirus. And you know, if you think back to this point in time, this was when officials were still telling us that the risk to the public was very low. And um, but that news was just breaking. And I remember the three of us kind of converged and started talking. And uh, one of us, uh, you know, someone extended their hand and uh, to shake. And we all kind of like looked at each other a little a little unsure. And I think we all ended up doing like a little awkward uh, kind of elbow uh, bump, but it was, uh, you know, no one really knew uh, what the proper uh, etiquette was uh, in that moment. Um, it turns out us breathing on each other and talking to each other was probably much more of a risk than shaking hands. But um, yeah, that's, that's a, a small moment that I, I just uh, I th- think back on sometimes and uh, think of how far we've come. I just
3: had a, a picture pop up in one of my social media memories the other day from, uh, from Super Tuesday last year from outside Elizabeth Warren's polling place. And I think it was actually a, a picture um, Rep. Marjorie Decker had snapped, um, of course we were out in Cambridge, um, of, of me and uh, Adam Riley from WGBH. And I was actually um, reaching into my purse to get out hand sanitizer that I'm about to offer around to the other reporters. Um, and I remember also, you know, that was when Secretary Galvin had, you know, was. Providing clearance for people to bring their own pens to uh, their polling places that day, you know, to, so you don't have to touch the other pen to out the bubble. And meanwhile, you know we're shoulder to shoulder for an hour. Sam, you were you were there that day too. You remember the throngs of people watching uh, Senator Warren? Oh yeah, who vote for herself for president. Just masses of people on on 1 AM Street in Cambridge, and you know. Cheering, yelling, every, everything, and just pushing each other around. And meanwhile, like mm, should, I, should I bring my own pen inside with me while well, you're just in a crowd of respiratory droplets?
1: <laughs> I think it was uh, almost exactly a year ago, it was March 6th, but it was Friday, March 6th. So it was you know the equivalent of a year ago today uh, that Chris and I went down to Boston City Hall to cover a press conference with uh, the Governor Baker, uh, Mayor Walsh, uh, city health officials, state health officials. And my God, we packed all of us into the Eagle Room in the in in City Hall, which is not a huge room. Uh, And, you know, the old wall of TV cameras, couple of rows of seats for reporters. And I remember sitting there and kind of, you know, taking some liberties, uh, stretching out, putting my notebook on the seat next to me, making sure my recorder had enough space, like just hoping that no one was going to come plop themselves down right next to me. And uh, and that was where, you know, everyone said, oh, the, the risk is very low. But I think Chris and I wrote a, a lead on that story that was like, my God, the number of cases doubled from th- or more than doubled from three to eight. You know, yep. And it was like panic alarms going off then, and we, we had no idea. Yeah, we really had no idea just how bad things could get and, and continued to get for you know six months until it started to, to rebound
3: after that. Well, you guys were there, I was, um, I was out in Malden for the uh, Ways and Means hearing on the education section of the, the governor's budget. And at that point, you know, everyone just thought it was going to be a normal budget cycle. But I remember some of the, the lawmakers were starting to ask about the idea of, well, are schools going to get extra money for cleaning that they're going to have to do around this virus? Um, not even imagining, you know, a year from now, there'd be students who, who still haven't been back in a classroom since um, March 17th was the, the closure date. So it's, man, <laughs>
1: March, 17th, March 17th also sticks out in uh-huh. my mind um, because that was a day that it, it like the, the, it was becoming clear how serious this all was and that it was going to not be as short of a experience as we might've thought initially, but, Two weeks, uh, right, right. But March 17th was also the day that Tom Brady announced that he was leaving the Patriots and signing with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Mm. So
2: you have to go there, Colin.
1: A mile marker. <laughs> it hasn't even been a year yet.
0: Wow. When you put it like that, it does make you realize just how long the last year feels.
1: We've been through a lot.
0: Yes. <laughs> well said. Well, turning to this past week, uh, we've got some news on the vaccine front. Colin, you were uh, covering the governor's press conference when he announced some news relative to teachers and teachers who haven't already gotten appointments through the federal program can sign up starting March 11th, next Thursday as we sit here uh, at state-administered locations. Um, The governor didn't seem like he really wanted to make that change to his Plan did he? But he he was getting plenty of pressure. And after the president's announcement the night before, um, he said he was doing this to avoid confusion in in differences between state and federal. Well, uh, can you explain the the differentiation there for us, just for folks who who might indeed be confused by the uh, different sets of eligibility?
1: Yeah, sure. So the the confusion that the governor was talking about is the the confusion that. Um, could have existed, maybe exists right now. Uh, when President Biden directed the Federal Pharmacy Partnership Program to uh, prioritize vaccinating teachers and, and school staff, uh, some pharmacies made teachers sort of immediately eligible. So CVS was one of those that uh, was, was uh, allowing teachers and school staff members in Massachusetts to book appointments for, uh, to get a vaccine at the CVS pharmacies, uh, as early as Wednesday morning, even before Governor Baker's announcement. So teachers, as of right now, can get an appointment through that federal program uh, that that does vaccinations at pharmacies. Uh, and next week, they'll be able to uh, sign up to or try to sign up to get an appointment at the state-run sites. So the confusion the governor was talking about was uh, the situation where teachers would be eligible to go get a shot through the federal program, but wouldn't yet be eligible to get it through the state program.
0: What was the governor's thinking in initially w- wanting to keep teachers in the next phase rather than moving them up to the the current sea of 65 plus, two plus comorbidity folks?
1: Well, he's been uh, defending his administration's prioritization uh, for a while now, uh, you know, on, on really any number of fronts. Uh, Really, everyone wants to get vaccinated as soon as possible. Uh, so, there's been plenty of clamoring uh, from different groups to, to have them moved up in the queue. Uh, the governor pointed out a couple of times this week that teachers were sort of next in line, they would be the next group. Uh, but he's defended his approach, saying that it was really important to uh, put the early emphasis on vaccinating the people who are more likely to experience hospitalization or death as a result of COVID. So uh, you know, people first over 75, people living in congregate care settings, people working in hospitals. Uh, those are all groups that were prioritized early on here uh, ahead of people uh, 65 plus, ahead of teachers, uh, still ahead of you know transit workers and other uh, essential occupations.
0: Yeah, and so when, when you talk about all the other groups that still are waiting for their eligibility, and everyone, as you say, wants to move up wants to be next right um, moving up one group, say teachers in this case how's that going to affect the well it, it is going to have an impact on the timetable for everybody else, right because uh, we had a, a million folks on that famous day the website crashed uh, coming eligible, and then the governor pointed out that about to head back up to a million once you throw the teachers in the mix. So what's how's this going to affect everyone else's calendar?
1: Yeah, you're exactly right. It's gonna uh, delay the, the sort of next uh, wave of, of eligibility. Um, in this case, it, teachers weren't really um, jumping the line, so to speak, like they didn't change what order they were in the prioritization, they were next in line, uh, but it seems that now Uh, the state is going to make them eligible sooner than the administration maybe would have otherwise. Uh, But without an increase of the supply of the vaccine, that means you're going to have, again, next Thursday, you're going to have another million people competing for, uh, you know, the limited tens of thousands of vaccine appointments for the following week. So we'll be back in the position where there's a million people trying for uh, you know really uh, what 's relatively a handful of appointments
0: hmm. and yeah, speaking of supply and and other folks, feel free to jump in here the the The, the governor says that they 've got plenty of capacity to administer shots the The administration is not the issue, although uh, as as we 've been hearing from him and his administration, supply is the issue, so as far as what the supply is in Massachusetts, how are we poised for? the month of March, because some folks, and Matt, you might be able to explain this uh, particularly well, um, uh, some folks have been expecting sort of an a, a influx of vaccine because of uh, new J&J production, that single-shot vaccine. Um, what's the reality going to look like for March?
2: Yeah, there certainly had been hope even before the J&J vaccine got approved for emergency use. I think it was last weekend, and that has already started landing in some hospitals, community health centers in Massachusetts, and and being used uh, for vaccinations. But uh, there was hope uh, after Moderna and Pfizer testified before Congress that they were going to be able to significantly ramp up their production this month, that they would be delivering significantly a significant uh, number of uh, increased doses to the federal government in March, which would then trickle down uh, to the state's supply. Uh, the governor, actually on Thursday, however, said that he is not expecting this month to see a significant increase uh, in the state's supply from the federal government. So he is continuing to bank on roughly 150,000 new first doses every week for the rest of the month. And if you project out as you and Colin were just talking uh, to next week, when teachers come online and become eligible, that's a a million people who are going to be competing uh, for about 150,000 new first doses beginning next week. The governor said it could take at least a month to work through the eligible population uh, before uh, even thinking about opening up uh, to additional essential workers who may be Uh, next in line. Uh, And then, uh, you know, the state's plan originally called for getting to the general public by April. But uh, that seems unlikely, except if you take the one big caveat, and that is, and the governor throws this at the end of every, uh, every line that he uses when he's asked these questions, unless the federal government increases their supply to the states. And uh, I think we know that the governor is being cautious here. He got asked uh, on Thursday about why not start booking people out and relieve some of this appointment pressure by booking people out multiple weeks. And he said that until they have guarantees that increased supply is going to be coming in those future weeks, he doesn't want to put the state in a jam uh, like we saw this week, uh, where a limited number of appointments went online because so many people are scheduled next week for their second doses, meaning fewer people can get in for their first dose shots. So He's being uh, he's being cautious in uh, in ramping this up too fast without knowing for sure what the supply is, uh, and right now he's not counting on a significant increase uh, at least for the month of March.
0: All right. Well, so that's the capacity to administer shots, the supply of doses. Uh, in in the middle, there is the booking or scheduling of appointments. Uh, to To connect folks with the ability to get a shot. Uh, what have folks heard this week about how the website is going, the, the state's vaccination uh, appointment booking website? Are, are, are things running more smoothly than when we last spoke about this a couple of weeks ago?
3: Well, I don't think it crashed this week. So that's, <laughs> that's a plus, right, from a couple of weeks ago. But there, there is still that sense of frustration out there, the people who Who want a pre registration system still want it. Um, The the virtual waiting room we saw roll out last week, I think, has probably improved the experience a bit, but it hasn't taken away that frustration that that really stems from the fact that, you know, if you have, say, this week, 12,000 appointments available at mass vax sites and, you know, orders of magnitude more of people who are eligible and want to get their shot you're gonna be in that waiting room for a long time. So it, it's nice that it's there, but you know, by the time you get through, you might still not be able to book an appointment. And that's, I mean, that's what it comes down to, right? The, that's the, the frustration people are, are having and the, the usability or lack thereof of the website is part of that
2: yeah that's really the disconnect here. I mean, we saw that first week, you know the famous uh, four-legged octopus popped up and the website actually crashed. Wouldn't work. since then we've we've seen it pretty much working. I mean, it's hit a few snags, yes, uh, but it pretty much works the way it was designed. People's issue with it is uh, that design itself and the and the experience and the fact that every Thursday you have hundreds of thousands of people logging on, trying to compete this week for 12,000 appointments. And they have to, they have to try at Gillette stadium. And then they have to try at Fenway park. And then they have to try at their local CVS and their Walgreens. And by the time they try all these different uh, venues uh, they miss all the appointments and they have to wait again and try again next week. So it's more the process that the state has set up through this website uh, that we're continuing to, to see critics, Um, including Rep. Mindy Dom uh, this week saying that the governor should use this downtime before opening up uh, the system to uh, large new population groups, including the general public eventually, to improve uh, the experience of the website. Um, But, uh, you know, we've heard the administration say that they're working on upgrades. Um, We've seen a few of them. We don't know if more are in the pipeline, but uh, it remains to be seen.
3: Yeah, I think Matt hit the nail on the head there. It's working as it's
0: designed. All right. Well put. Well put. So as we continue along the road to vaccination, uh, what are the metrics that or what are some of the like numbers that, that, that you folks are watching? Like when the number of fully vaccinated people outweighs some other metric or some. Threshold. I don't know. Like, what 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 sort of data are you really keeping your eye on to illustrate progress or a a return to a better time?
1: Whenever I become eligible to get my <laughs> shot, that's really what I'm keeping an eye on. I mean, I, I'm healthy, relatively young. I will be among the last people to become eligible for the vaccine. So. When I become eligible, we'll know, you know, we've made it through the the uh, the vulnerable populations and and we're, you know, into the real general general public.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, I think we're still a long way off in um, in getting to where we need to be. I think, you know, you you see some of the numbers, 70, 80 percent needed to reach. A herd immunity, I think is what the experts talk about. And I heard uh, an interesting conversation this week about how uh, young people, uh, children, actually account uh, nationally for about 25% of the population. Uh, and they are, will not be eligible uh, for a vaccine. There are currently clinical trials and kids going on, but they're not going to be eligible for vaccinations until late 2021, maybe early 2022 for the, even the, the youngest set. So I mean, herd immunity uh, seems like a long way away. I'm sure um, we'll be wearing masks masks, and probably distancing for uh, quite some time. But, uh, you know, if uh, if they can get the 400,000 or so teachers and school employees vaccinated relatively quickly and children start returning to school uh, safely, that will alleviate some of the daycare issues that have cropped up. I think you'll start to see some um, uh, more and more th- Things in society kind of come back uh, to normal, or at least some semblance of, of how we remember them. Um, and of course, you know, uh, knock on wood, there's always a- opening day uh, when 4,500 lucky fans will uh, get to go watch some baseball.
0: Oh, gee. How, how expensive lucky? are those tickets going to be? They're
2: going to be free. They're going to
1: give them away because, you know, very low demand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are those the lucky fans or, or the unlucky fans?
0: I mean, I'll, I'll go. <laughs> well,
3: they're, they're unlucky if they were hoping to go there to get a vaccine instead, right?
2: That's true. Yep. Fenway Park no longer going to be a vaccination site by opening day. I'm just wondering, are they going to, like, are you going to get your own, like, third base grandstand to, like, you and, like, three friends and you get to sit there, like, by yourself? Or are they going to limit seating? Uh, stick everybody in the bleachers but um,
3: there's no way to social distance in the bleachers even if you like even if you limit the people uh,
2: but yeah Fenway Park no longer going to be a mass vaccination site um, beginning uh, after March 27th uh, March 18th the Heinz Convention Center is going to open and take over uh, the vaccination efforts that have been on- ongoing at Fenway Park as, as, uh, as the ballpark becomes uh, home to baseball Again, the governor made that announcement this week. Um, So there's going to be a bit of overlap there, but we'll see the transition. And this comes back to some of that capacity issue you were talking about, Sam, the governor saying about 1,500 shots being administered at Fenway Park every day. Uh, The Heinz Convention Center will uh, ramp up this month to equal that. But eventually, uh, if the supply is there, have the capacity to do about 5,000 vaccines a day. So uh, the state increasing its capacity, uh, the governor saying it just needs the supply now to uh, live up to that promise.
0: Although the Heinz, not quite as fun to go there to get your vaccine as it would be to go into the concourse at Fenway Park. but
2: It's, it's not. As much as you can look forward to things like this these days, I imagine there had to be a, a cohort of people out there who had their uh, I voted at Fenway Park stickers uh, from this past election, <laughs> hoping to get there. You know, I got vaccinated at Fenway Park stickers and and, and put them in a, a collection. I might have liked to have gone to Fenway eventually, but um, uh, maybe I'll get to watch some baseball instead.
0: Well, you know that's fine too. Um, just a, a closing thought from me. I think it was Colin mentioned, uh, you know, continuing to wear masks for some time, and. Uh, even after all this starts to subside. And um, interesting conversation this morning in Capital Coffee. It had been on my mind the last day or so. I've got some friends work in the hospitality industry, and I'm like, well, you think about it, a patron going to a restaurant, even after COVID is a a thing of the past, more or less, a lot of patrons are still going to want their servers to be wearing a mask. And one of the guys over at Capital Coffee this morning Uh, behind the counter volunteered to me that, yeah, when all this is over, I'll still be wearing a mask. I haven't gotten sick this year. I love it. And I work in a restaurant. So I think I should wear a mask that, Hey, that's, that's pretty interesting as far as something that might stick around, you know, now that we all understand what aerosol droplets are.
1: (laughs) I think you could especially see that on trains and buses or public transit, for instance, when everybody's crammed in like sardines and you've got, you know, in a six foot radius, 10 different people, um, that sure seems like the kind of thing that could last well beyond the the state of emergency.
3: Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I can't follow the point of this conversation at all anymore because now I'm just thinking about how badly I want a, a capital coffee iced coffee and a filibuster Greek salad. And that's where my mind is at. It's, you know, it's the takeout. I, I want some I want some state house
0: takeout specifically. You can't hear the ice in the cup anymore because it's melted. But I've got my Capital Coffee iced coffee right here. <laughs> all right, folks. Well, thanks very much for joining us this week. And hopefully it isn't too long until we're all back sitting at Capitol Coffee or the filibuster together. Um, thanks very much. And, hey, we'll check back in with you next Friday. Take care.
1: Thanks, Sam. Sam. Adios. Statehouse Takeout is a production of the Statehouse News Service. And for a daily fix of Statehouse headlines, visit masterlist.com.
2: Masterlist with two S's. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.